Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. As you're seated, I want to share with you a number of things. One is a theologian, historical theologian studied the United States and made this statement before. America is great because America is good. And went on to say, but if America ceases to be good, they will cease to be great. And then the question is, why is America good or why were we thought to be good? It's because our nation was birthed even before it came into existence under the idea and the thought of a close walk with God and the need for revival. A need to be revived and renewed daily, weekly, annually. A need to constantly be in fellowship with God and allow God to do glorious things. I want to show you a couple of quotes uh, each week. I'm going to try to give you some historical facts about revival that happened in our nation. And one of those quotes it regards the great awakening that happened when Jonathan Edwards preached in 1734, I don't know if you remember your history book, but that's before we became a nation. Y'all got that? <laughs> in 1734 is whenever this was taking place. Listen to what it says. In describing what happened in Jonathan Edwards' Northampton, Massachusetts church in 1734, observers said, It pleased God to display his free and sovereign mercy in the conversion of a great multitude of souls in a short space of time, turning them from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity to the lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion, changing it from formal Christianity of going through the motions to having life and power. This quote, During a spiritual revival... God supernaturally transforms believers and non-believers in a church, locale, region, nation, or the world through sudden, intense enthusiasm for Christianity. People sense the presence of God powerfully. Conviction, despair, contrition, repentance, and prayer come easily. People thirst for God's word, and many authentic conversions occur And backsliders are renewed. Revival is what we need. We need revival personally. We need revival in our church. We need revival in our nation. We need revival in our world. And if we as the church and the people of God will long for and allow God to bring revival, then there is the hope that we will then experience a spiritual awakening, which will impact those outside of the church of God as God's spirit moves mightily. But if we're going to see and anticipate a movement of God, it needs to be the church who's hungering for it. Amen? It needs to be the believers who are longing for it to have that experience of revival. Well, last week I shared with you the first message regarding this year of revival, and that was from Zechariah, a number of things we talked about. But one thing I wanted you to have in your heart and remember that 
And that is that we have to get to a point that we are dissatisfied with the status quo. We're dissatisfied with the day of small things. And rather, we want to see God do God-sized things. Amen? And until we get dissatisfied with where we are, we're never going to see that happen in our lives. So I'm praying for God to build within us a holy dissatisfaction of where we are with a longing to see Him move and to do supernatural, glorious things. Today, I want to share with you a story about a city. I'm going to tell you that story, and then I'll point to the passage of Scripture. It's a city that was in need of revival. Now, let me just tell you the story behind the city before we get to the passage. Whenever the world began to be populated and people began to grow and to move out from Mesopotamia or that particular area and began to settle in regions, one thing that you had to do is you had to find a good source of water. It had to be a river, it had to be a spring, it had to be something because water is absolutely necessary for us to live. Water is necessary for us to carry on life. And so as people began to move out, there was this spring of water that obviously provided good and fresh water where people began to gather. And as they gathered there, they began to gather more and more and more to the point that as they finally gathered there, around that fresh spring of good water... There grew this large city. There's this large city. And the people are enjoying it and things are happening until something took place. We don't know how it took place. We just know it took place. And what was that? Something happened to the water. Something happened to the water. That spring of water that had been fresh water and allowed the city to grow had now become bad water. And because it was bad water, it was causing the land and the people and livestock and everything in it, causing all of that to be unfruitful. Don't know why that happened. We don't know if it was something uncontrollable that took place within the internal spring that caused that change to happen where it was bad water. Or if it was the fact the misuse of things that you sometimes see in countries where there was once fresh water and now there's misuse and abuse of the natural resources and and now it's not clean water. We don't know what happened, but we know something happened that caused the good water to become bad water and from being a fruitful land to being an unfruitful land. And it began to be such a serious problem that the leaders of the city realized that something had to be done. That if there wasn't something done and a change that would happen, that their city would go into non-existence. That people would be leaving there and going somewhere else and there would not be a place or a city in that place anymore. Something had to be done to make the bad water good again. How could that happen? Well, they heard about a man of God. A prophet of Jehovah. This man who heard from God and who spoke in behalf of God and who did marvelous, powerful, miraculous things in the name of God. And so they gathered themselves together and they make their way to go and to see this man of God. And they're coming to see this man of God because they need his help. They need the help and the hand of God To save their city. Their city was in need of revival. Right? 
What is revival? <laughs> revival is life again. That city had grown into existence because it had life. Water that gave life. And now that the water had turned bad and it was becoming unfruitful, they needed to have a miraculous event take place so that the bad water becomes good and they can have life again. They are a city in need of revival. And that city in that story pictures and helps us to picture and to understand some great truths about what it takes to have revival. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2, this has to do with the life of the man of God, Elisha. The man of God, the prophet of God, Elisha. And we're going to pick up in the story about that city. Remember where we left off is the leaders of the city have heard about Elisha and they realize something's got to be done and they go and they see this man, Elisha. What it says in verse 19. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, this is that city. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold now, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees with his eye. But the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. And Elisha said, bring me a new jar and put salt in it. So they brought it to him and he went out to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I have purified these waters. There shall not be from their death or unfruitfulness any longer. So the waters have been purified, life-giving waters again, to this day, according to the word of Elisha, our Really, according to the word of God. According to the word of God. Now, leave your Bibles open because we're going to look at some very important words this morning. Important words that we need to focus on in relationship to revival. The first thing I want you to think about is this. It says that in verse 19, the men of the city came to Elisha. Those men of the city were the men who were the leaders of that city. They were responsible for that city. They were concerned about that city. And, and they had decisions that need to be made. The men of the city were the leaders of the city. In other words, whenever there is a need for revival, whether that's in a city or whether that's in a church, whether that's in a family or whether that's in a life, there has to be somebody, and that's usually the leader, who comes forth and says, something's got to be done. Amen? Something has to be done. And for here, it's the leaders of the city. They're taking on their leadership responsibility. They're going and saying to the man of God and to God, we need help, and we need for you to do something to save our city. Well, the same thing has to happen. When a church needs revival, it's the leaders of the church, it's the pastor, it's the staff, it's the deacons, it's the leadership of our church that need to rise up and before Almighty God, we need to say, God, we need help. God, without your help, we are sunk. We need for you to do a great and awesome work. We need you to bring life again and fruitfulness again. The leader has to be willing to do that for the church. 
but also in the family. Listen to me, men. I don't know if you've forgotten this or not. I was talking to my youngest son yesterday, reminding him about it. You know, those father-son things we have a chance to talk about and always think is that you men are responsible for your family. Bless God, that's right. (laughs) Don't look down, look up. You're going to need to look up, amen? You are responsible. Now, you may pass it over to somebody else. You may want somebody else to take charge of that. But one day, you're going to give an account of your family because that's the way God set it up. And therefore, whenever your family needs revival, it's for you to be the one who's at the forefront, not the back, not having to be pulled along. You're supposed to be the leader who says something needs to be done. We need a renewal of our family. And I'm going to take responsibility to ask God to do what only God can do. Some of you might say, well, I'm not a leader of the city, and I'm not a leader of the church, and I'm not necessarily a leader of the family. Well, let me tell you one place you are a leader. That's your life. You are in charge of your life. You sit on the throne of your life. You make the decisions about your life, and therefore you are a leader. So look around in your heart and in your life today, and I want to ask you this question. Are you going to be willing as the leader of your life to, be what, to do what the leaders of this city did and to be willing to go out there and ask God to do what only God can do, to do a new work and a reviving work in your heart and life? It's going to happen because you ask him. Those leaders of that city, they came to him. The leaders of the church are going to have to come to them. The leaders of family is going to have to come to him. You and your life, you've got to come to him. Why? Because you realize you've got a need. Now, I want you to see some very important words that are going to help us to understand why or how revival comes. How does revival come? Well, the first thing I want you to know about revival coming is it comes because we are open and honest. Write that down. We are open and honest. Now, that sounds like good. We teach our children we need to be honest, to be open. Okay, let's go back to that. Everybody needs to be open and honest. Open and honest. Before Almighty God, open and honest about where we are and who we are. How, how do you see that in this passage? Here's what I want you to see. Look at it. Look what it says in verse 19. The first word I want you to circle is this, behold. Circle that word. This is what those men said, behold. What does behold mean? Well, behold means this, we want you to come and we want you to look at our city. We don't want you to just look on the surface of our city. We want you to look on the inside of our city. We want you to look down there in the depths of our city. We want you to know everything about our city. Don't just look on the outside. Look on the inside. We don't want you to look on the surface. We want you to look at the closets of our city. You have any closets in your life? Uh Uh-oh. It's not preaching. That's meddling. Amen. You got any areas that you set aside? If you want God to do a work in your life, you're going to have to say, God, we want you to come and not just look at the surface of our life. We want you to look at the in-depth part of our life. Everything in our life, we want you to come and look at that. We want you to come and look at that. We don't want you to just come and look at it, Lord. We want you to do something about it. 
If there's something in our life that is not like it ought to be, if there's something that shouldn't be there, it is there, shouldn't be there, should be, it's not there, whatever is about our life, we want you to come and take charge. We want you to come and be involved. We're inviting you into our lives. We want to be open and we want to be honest before you, Almighty God. That's what they were saying. We want to be open and honest with you and that you to see who we are. That is a scary, scary thing. But it is required. It is required. I want you to circle another word. The next word. Listen. Behold now. Behold now. When do we want you to come look? When do we want you to be involved? When do we want you to do something? We want you to do it right now. Not put it off till tomorrow. Not put it off next week. Not wait till it's convenient. I'm going to tell you, my friend, procrastination is one of the greatest enemies of revival. We'll just keep waiting. We're going to get to that one day. We're going to get to that one day. We're like Scarlett O'Hara. We'll take care of that tomorrow. Amen? We cannot do that. We cannot procrastinate. They didn't say, whenever you get a minute, would you come our way? They said, behold now, right now. We need help right now. If something doesn't happen right now, we are in trouble. And we've got to be willing to say, behold, come and look and do it, Lord Right now. Right now. Well, look what they say. Behold now, here is the situation of our city. The situation of our city. Described in three ways. Listen to what it says. He says, first of all, our city is beautiful to behold when you look at the outside. I want to put a picture up there. Of a city. Now, if you saw that city, wouldn't you think, man, now they've got it going, right? That's where I want to live. At least that's where I'd like to spend Christmas. They got everything going. That's exactly that is exactly the picture that these men are painting about their city. They said, whenever you come and look at the outside of our city. When you come and you just see the outside of what's going on, it is beautiful. Whenever somebody sees it, they want to live there. They think that's a great place to dwell. They want to live there because they only see the outside. Wow. Can I ask you a question? Hold on a second. Do do we ever find ourselves doing that personally? Do do you ever ever find yourself looking good on the outside? I mean, everything looks good on the outside. Don't we know how to do that? Don't look at me so holy. Don't we know how to do that? We sure do. (laughs) We learned it when we were little kids, didn't we? Whenever I went to church, we had church clothes and play clothes. Did you? And never the twain should get confused. (laughs) For if they did, there was a price to be paid. I remember that when my mother bought me white britches for Easter. 
I went home, got home a little early. Our, we were a neighborhood church, went home early. Some boys were playing football. No way to get in the house. <laughs> I get you. I'm not waiting on the game. Go play football. White pants. By the time mom got home, I had green stains all down the front of my pants. My mom marched me into the house and very firmly and very deliberately helped me to understand there's a difference in church clothes and play clothes. I have never owned white britches to this day. (laughs) But we learned, we learned, hey, make sure you look good on the outside. Make sure you look like you're together on the outside. We went further than that, didn't we? We also learned the church vocabulary. What do you say at church? Or what do you say with your friends? Oh, yeah. Don't look so holy. What you do, practice holy looking? You're the wretched sinner here, Brother Mac. <laughs> Confession time for you. None of us ever did that. Yeah, yeah, right. I remember in my high school years, I... I didn't. I was an athlete, so I didn't get involved in drinking and a lot of things that people did and all those kind of things. Not because I was that sweet and holy. So I had motives for different reasons. But one thing I did, that I got a foul mouth. Now, now I went to church every Sunday. <laughs> but whenever I was with my buddies on the football field or we were doing other things, I, I could use profanity and, and fit in with the group. We know one of the greatest fears that I ever had, this sounds funny, but some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. One of the greatest fears I ever had is they'd call on me to pray in Sunday school and I would forget and use my weekday language. <laughs> it's called a double-minded man. Am I the only one? I don't think so. Different vocabulary, different lifestyle, different everything. We know how to put it together. Whenever we're dead on the inside. We know how to do that. We, we do that in our families coming to church, don't we? we do. uh, you know, one of the things, I don't have time to do it here because of our two services. But what I used to do is in the churches that I pastored where we had just one service. I, I'd get out in the parking lot and I'd welcome people when they came to church. Now, that's very interesting. You see a lot of things coming into church. <laughs> I mean, you, you can see some people pulling into church and they're swatting in the back seat and you see on their face, they're not saying, bless the Lord, oh my soul, aren't we glad we're here today? You know what I'm talking about. But let them get out of the car and walk into church and you say, how are you doing? We're great. You're a liar. You're a liar. You're not great. But we're good at looking good on the outside. Just don't look on the inside. That's what they said. We look good on the outside, but, but our problem is we've got bad water. Get the next picture. I told you it has to be a spring. That spring looks great and wonderful. It, it probably did look great and wonderful. It said everything was pretty on the outside. It was fine. But there was some problem with the water. And if the water, if there's a problem with the water inside and water is essential for living, there's a problem. And their water is bad. Their water is bad. The, the life source is bad. That which is flowing in them is bad. That which is necessary is bad. 
It's not as great as it looks like it is on the outside. Something's not so great on the inside. And do you know what water is a picture of? You know what water is a picture of in our life? It's the innermost part of us. You know what Jesus said, don't you? He said, whenever I come into you and the Holy Spirit comes into you, out of you will flow rivers of what? Of living water. Is that us? No, it's who? It's the Spirit of God that now indwells our inner man and and controls our inner man and flows out of us. See, water is who we are on the inside. And, And that's what they were saying is we look good on the outside, but on the inside, we've got a problem. You ever been there? You ever been there? You ever look good on the outside? When everybody sees you on the outside, they think you've got it together. Everybody might want to be just like you. But you know on the inside, things are not as great as they look like they are on the outside. And because it's bad water, it says our land is unfruitful. Our land is unfruitful. That word in the Hebrew language, unfruitful, it means to cast forth its fruit before it is mature. It's just like this picture where you're expecting the fruit to be where you can pick it and eat it. But before it ever becomes mature, it falls off the vine. It falls off. There's always an anticipation of something's going to be good and you're going to get to enjoy and you're going to get to have the reward. But before you ever get there, it falls off. It falls off. It makes it unfruitful. And it wasn't just plant life. It could also be with their livestock. It could also be with their children. Something about that water was causing them to be unfruitful. To not be able to bring forth life. There is a problem. What do you know whenever we don't have the right kind of, we don't have the right kind of water in us. We don't have the right kind of life in us. We may look good on the outside, but sometimes we are just really, really unfruitful. Our life's just unfruitful. We go through the motion, but not bearing fruit. And hold on a second. What, what did, Jesus, what did Jesus, Jesus say in John 15? I'm the vine, and you are the branches, and who abides in me, and I in him, he shall bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. But if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. See, we're supposed to be bearing fruit. So these men, they come and they say, Behold, we want you to see who we are. We want to be honest with you. We want you to do something for us right now. We want you to see that on the outside, everything looks fine. Everything looks great. Everything looks wonderful. But on the inside, on the inside, we got problems. Go to the next one. That's why I'm important of now. <laughs> because you don't just have to be honest and open. You got to be urgent. You got to be urgent. See, see, the, the old devil will tell you, and he'll, he'll tell you over and again. I can tell you because he tells me, all right? Now, anything I've learned about spiritual warfare is because I've been in the fight. Whatever he's told you, I've probably heard that many times before, all right? But, but the old devil will tell you, you need to get that right. Just don't do it today. 
There's a time when you need to do that. Whenever you've got time to get away and go to a retreat setting somewhere up in the mountains and you just have a few days and get everything right in your life clean, you'll be fine. That's not what we're to do. That's not what we're to do. We're supposed to do it now. We're supposed to do it right now. Not tomorrow. So there has to be an urgency about what we do. Lord, we need it. Lord, without you, we're sunk. This city was not going to exist if they didn't have a miracle. If they did not have a miracle, they would not exist. Now was the time, now was the time they needed a hand of God. Have you got that urgency about you? Has God birthed that into your heart? I'm praying, I'm praying and asking that he will put that urgency in your life. But not only is it a matter of of being open and obedient and being urgent, we also need to be obedient. I want you to look at the next verse, verse 20. Listen to what it says. This is amazing to me. Listen to what it says. And he said, that statement right there is amazing. He said, do you, do you know that this man of God, as soon as he, as soon as he heard their request, he immediately answers them? Now remember, the man of God is represents God to them, and therefore the way the man of God responds to them is the way God responds to them. And here it is that they immediately say to him, it's been a while, obviously, that they could have come, but they didn't come. But they come to him and they say, We need you to behold our city right now, and this is the situation of our city, we need you to do something with it. And immediately he answers them. He could have ignored them if he wanted to, couldn't he? He could have ignored them, put them off. said, I, I think I might wait for a better day. <laughs> I think I might wait for a more convenient time. He did not do that. What did he do? He immediately answered. Let me tell you something about, that's great about God. It's worth you hearing this morning. Listen. God, if you will call on him and you will be open and honest and urgent before Almighty God, he will speak to you. He will never ignore you, even though we ignore him many times. He will never ignore you. All he waits is for you to ask. That's all he waits for, for you to ask. See, he wants you and me to have revival more than we want revival. He wants us to have a new experience with him more than we do. So he is going to answer, just like he said. And this is what he said. Listen to what he said. Listen to the answer. He says, bring me a new jar and put salt in it. That is a strange combination. We'll talk about that later. But he said, he said bring me a new jar. It means it's never been used before. And put salt in the jar and bring it to me. Is that the way you're going to make bad water good? I don't necessarily think so. We'll talk about that next time we're together, all right? But this is what I want you to see. They, he said, bring me a new jar and put, and put salt in it. And don't miss this. Listen, underline this in that phrase. So they brought it to him. That didn't seem important. That's very important. You know what that meant? They were obedient to what he said to do. For see, not only do you have to be honest and open... And you have to be urgent. You have to be obedient. If you're going to experience revival, you're going to have to be obedient. And being obedient means to do whatever he tells you to do. Whatever he tells you to do. 
You go do it. It might not make sense to you. It probably didn't make sense when he said, bring me a new jar and put salt in it. It doesn't matter whether it makes sense at all. All he wants you to do is be obedient to whatever he tells you to do. And if you will be obedient to what he tells you to do, he will move mightily and he will do miraculous things and he'll bring about life, life again. If you will be obedient. Now that sounds pretty simple, but hold on a second. Some of us are more like Naaman. You remember the story of Naaman? It's about two chapters over in the same book. Read it when you get home. You remember Naaman? Naaman was that captain of the Syrian army who had leprosy. And a little servant girl told him, man, there's a man of God, the same man of God. There's a man of God who's, who can heal you. He's healed other people. And Naaman gets permission, and he comes over to see Elisha. And when he goes to see Elisha, Elisha tells him, doesn't come out to him, which was a disrespect to Naaman, and he kind of got offended by that anyway. And, and then they sent a message that said, go dip seven times in the Jordan River. You remember that, remember that story? Remember what Naaman did? Naaman puffed up and got proud, and he said, that's sure not what I was expecting to tell me. That's not what I was expecting to tell me I had to do. There's cleaner rivers over where I live than over here, this old nasty, muddy Jordan River. And he's about to miss out on a miracle until a servant said, well, if he had asked you something hard to do, would you have done it? Sure I would have. Well, why don't you do this simple thing and see if it works? And bless God, Naaman went down there, dipped seven times. When he came up the seventh time, he was what? He was cleansed and he was healed because he was obedient. See, being obedient sounds simple, but it's not. Many of us are like Naaman. We're over here negotiating with God and finding out why would he ask me to do that? And there's other things I could have done. And that's the, the way I thought he was going to do it. Well, forget how you think he's going to do it. He may do something totally different than what you expect just to find out whether you will be obedient. But if you're going to experience revival, you're going to have to be obedient. What if those people have said, that makes no sense about that jar and that salt. Tell us something else. Their city would have died. But they didn't question him. They went and got the jar and got the salt. And they're going to experience a miracle. They're going to experience revival. They're going to experience life again. Because why? They're willing to be open and honest. Come see me. Come see us. This is who we are. Come see us. But come And do something now, because we're in trouble. And whatever you tell us to do, we'll do it. We'll do it. And their lives were changed. Powerful movement of God. We'll talk about that powerful movement of God next time we're together. But the same revival that they had that you want, if you want it, is going to be because you're honest and open. You're urgent, and you're obedient. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. 
Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.